You may have heard about the Corporate Transparency Act, and if you're like me, you have lots of questions about it. What is it? What disclosures are required under it? How does it impact our practice as trust and estates attorneys? Today, our fabulous guests will answer these questions and more. I am very excited to be joined by Elizabeth Bodden, who is a partner at the law firm of Withers Bergman LLP in the firm's Los Angeles office. Elizabeth is a trust and estates attorney with over 20 years of experience. Elizabeth is a graduate of UCLA Law School, where she currently teaches estate and gift tax and estate planning. She is also a certified specialist in estate planning, trust, and probate law, and she is an AgTech fellow. We are especially lucky to have Elizabeth with us today because she has carefully studied the Corporate Transparency Act and is the perfect guest to help us better understand it. My name is Matt Owens. I'm a trust and estate litigator in San Diego, and I'm a member of the Executive Committee of the Trust and Estate Section of the California Lawyers Association. I'll be your host for this episode of Trust Me. Welcome to Trust Me, the official podcast of the Trust and Estate Section of the California Lawyers Association. The Trust and Estate Section seeks to further the knowledge of practitioners through updates and a wide range of educational opportunities. In addition, the section monitors and participates in the formation of laws and regulations that impact the trust and estates field and represents section members in the governance of the California Lawyers Association. And now, to your host of today's podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Great to be here. I'm delighted to be here, Matt. So before we get into the details, let's talk about when the Corporate Transparency Act actually goes into effect. So when will that be? That will be January 1st, 2024. So we're coming right up on three months, much sooner than I or anyone else anticipated when I first heard about this act a while back. Yeah, that's coming up quick. So it's called the Corporate Transparency Act. So does that mean only corporate attorneys need to worry about it? Unfortunately, no. So I think that's a common misconception. You know, as an estate planner, you hear Corporate Transparency Act and you think, I don't have to worry about that. It isn't for me. But the act is focused not on large public companies, large operating companies, but on all the kinds of entities that we use in estate planning. And so it is for us. And I think it's going to impact the estate planners practice in some ways, even more than some other practice areas. So let's talk about who actually is required to file something under this act. Who would those people be that actually have a filing requirement under the Corporate Transparency Act? So the Corporate Transparency Act says that all reporting companies must file a report. And we'll talk in a minute about what a reporting company is. But there's two other categories of people that need to report under this act, and those are beneficial owners and company applicants. And so I thought maybe it would make sense for us to focus on each of those separately. So what's a reporting company, what's a beneficial owner, and what's a company applicant? So reporting company is really important. That's a domestic company such as a corporation, an LLC, or another entity that's created by a filing with a secretary of state or similar office. And so typically we'll include the types of entities we use every day, limited partnerships, limited liability partnerships, LLCs. It doesn't include sole proprietorships, general partnerships, certain tax exempt entities, and trusts are not reporting companies either, 
but are going to get involved in reporting as beneficial owners. So tell us more about what a beneficial owner is and how a trust might get involved there, because I know that's what our listeners will want to key into. Yeah. And as estate planners, that's what's going to be pretty critical. A beneficial owner is a person who has substantial control of a reporting company or an ownership interest of 25% or more of that company. And so a person has substantial control if they're a senior officer. So say the president, vice president, treasurer of a reporting company. But substantial control can also be indirect. So the ability to have control of the board through voting rights. So if a trustee of a trust owns an interest in a reporting company and has control over board selection, that trust is going to be brought into reporting. As well, in the trust context, a beneficial owner includes the grantor or settler, if they have the right to revoke a trust or withdraw assets. So all of our revocable living trusts, any trustee or person with authority to dispose of trust assets, or beneficiaries, if they're the sole recipient of income and principal or have the right to demand or withdraw substantially all of the trust assets. Oh, wow. So even beneficiaries could be included under certain circumstances, huh? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's very broad. And for estate planning clients who are concerned about privacy, it can be a little scary to think about having to report on all of these people and their roles. And what about the other category, this company applicants category? What is that? Yeah. So... We have reporting companies, we have beneficial owners, and then we have company applicants who are the people that directly file the registration documents and the person primarily responsible for directing the filing. And so if you think about it, I, as a lawyer, am regularly directing filing of registration documents on behalf of my clients and my paralegal is often the one who is actually directing the filing itself. And so we and all of our staff are potentially company applicants under the Corporate Transparency Act. Well, that's a little scary, or at least we'd have to be pretty thoughtful about who we want touching the file. Have you thought through any best practices on how you should staff matters internally at a firm to try to figure out who you want to be your I guess, maximum of two people that might be those company applicants that would have that filing obligation? When the Corporate Transparency Act originally came out, it wasn't clear that there was a limit to how many company applicants there could be. So we were imagining that virtually everyone in our office who touches a file might have to report. Thankfully, the final regulations clarified, as you said, that it's a maximum of two people who are company applicants. And so what some law firms are doing is thinking about, do we want to streamline all of our particular types of filings with one associate or one paralegal? Or do we just want to develop a good system of maintaining records for who the company applicant will be for each new entity we file? The good news I should mention is that the Corporate Transparency Act applies to all entities. And so we're going to be going back and doing filings for entities that were formed 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. 
But the company applicant reporting only is going to apply to new entities formed after January 1st. So we're not going to have to dig through our files to figure out who touched them at our firms in the past. But going forward, it's going to be something we have to track. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about who the reporters would be. We've talked a little bit about when this thing goes into effect. But let's talk now about what type of information actually has to be in the report that's required under the Corporate Transparency Act. Can you tell us about that? I can. So it's actually fairly extensive, and at least in my practice, more information than I typically get from my clients. So for the reporting company itself, it's going to be the legal name of the business, any doing business as or trade name they use, street address, jurisdiction of formation, and tax ID number. All pretty straightforward. For beneficial owners, it's going to be, in addition to their name, their residential address, date of birth, ID number, so driver's license or passport, and an image of that document, which at least in my case, I don't typically collect. And so we're going to have to be thinking as estate planners about when we're forming new entities going forward, whether we want to get this information up front so that we'll be able to complete the reporting and how we want to handle that. It's also important to know that the filing for beneficial owners doesn't allow you to use PO boxes. So clients are going to have to be prepared to disclose their actual residential addresses. Company applicants also are going to have to provide similar information, including the ID, but will be able to use their business address as opposed to their personal residential address. The good news for anyone who's going to be doing a lot of filings, such as an estate planning attorney, there is the opportunity to get something called a FinCEN identifier, which my team and I think of like a TSA pre-check, where you submit your verification documents up front and get a valid identifier so that in all future filings, instead of having to resubmit all your data, you can just submit your FinCEN identifier. And so many of us are going to want to do this, and many of our clients are going to want to do this for privacy reasons, so that they're not having to share their personal information with a variety of companies that they may have interest in that would require reporting. Okay, interesting. So that FinCEN identifier, I'm just trying to think again about how this works within a law firm. I mean, it may be that you'd want to have one person or a subset of persons on your team that would just already be FinCEN identified, so they've got that identifier, and just have them be the designated filers. Maybe that's one way to try to streamline it a little bit. Certainly. So this reminds me a little bit of like a KYC or know your client type of check that some financial institutions and other entities have to do, because it seems like you're gathering similar information. Yes. So I work at a London-based law firm, and my colleagues in Europe are already used to having to get copies of passports and other identifying information for their clients. And I think that this is somewhat reflective of those same efforts finally coming to the U.S. But at least initially, I'm having a lot of clients balk at that when they're saying, why does somebody need my passport? Why does somebody need my ID? So we're going to have to be doing some education for clients who maybe aren't used to providing so much. I would imagine that's particularly true for the privacy-minded clients, whether it be high net worth clients, maybe celebrity clients, that part of the reason they're creating these entities is they don't want their names to be associated with certain properties and things of that nature. That's exactly right. So, all right, we know what has to be in this report now, and it sounds 
pretty onerous. And you've mentioned FinCEN a couple times. Can you tell us just a little bit about FinCEN and how the filing works? Is it actually FinCEN that you file the report with or just explain that process to us a little bit? Sure. So FinCEN is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Uh, Many people are already familiar with FinCEN because they're the agency where you report ownership of foreign accounts and control of foreign assets. And so they are going to be the agency with whom the Corporate Transparency Act reports are filed. We don't know exactly how that filing is going to happen, whether it'll be online or in paper. Those details are still being worked out, but everything will go to FinCEN and for the most part should be held confidential by them except for some clear exceptions for law enforcement purposes. Yeah, and can you say more about that? Because I know some clients will be nervous about the prospect of all this personal data potentially being disclosed. So can you give us an idea of the circumstances under which FinCEN might release what should otherwise be treated as confidential information? Any information reported to FinCEN on a Corporate Transparency Act filing can only be disclosed to a government agency, to law enforcement, to financial institutions to comply with their own anti-money laundering or diligence obligations. And so there aren't any opportunities for the general public to get the information. So some of us are familiar with like Freedom of Information Act requests, and those can't be used to get copies of these Corporate Transparency Act reports. And so generally, we can tell clients, just like you provide your personal information on your tax return, for example, this is similar in that it is not a publicly available document. That said, as you noted, a lot of our clients are very focused on privacy, and they're going to be adverse to sharing information and not confident that it won't be disclosed. And so one of the things that we can do with our clients before the effective date is look at whether there are entities we can wind down or restructure to limit the information we're going to have to disclose in these reports. So if you have an old LLC that's been around for many years that maybe used to have a purpose and now (laughs) not so much, might be a good time to wind it down if you don't want to make disclosures. Is that right? That's exactly right. So once you file this report, how often do you then have to file it again? Do you have to update it? Is an annual filing requirement? How does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. So the initial filing for each company happens after the effective date. And we have kind of two separate tracks for that initial filing. So the first is for businesses that are in effect or that exist prior to January 1st, 2024. Those reporting companies are going to have a year. So until January 1st, 2025, to file their initial report. So there's some runway for existing companies. For newly formed reporting companies, so formed after January 1st, 2024, the current rules require their initial filing within 30 days. Now I will say there has been a proposal to extend that 30 days to 90 days just for the initial year of 2024. There's a public comment period about that extension proposal that's open right now, and we should know sometime in November or December whether that filing window will get extended for 2024. But as it's written now, 
all new reporting companies will have to file within 30 days of formation. And then whether you're a newly formed company or a longtime existing company, there is an obligation to make updated reports when things change. And those updated reports are also subject to the 30-day reporting window. So if there's a change of address, if there's a change in senior management, or what I think about in the estate planning context, when someone passes away and their interest has passed to beneficiaries or there's an estate opened, those things are going to trigger the requirement of an updated report. And there's a lot of details we still haven't figured out. You know, is it 30 days from the date of death or is it 30 days from the appointment of the executor or trustee? But it's something we're all going to have to really start thinking about in the context of trust administration. So if that's a triggering event, someone's death, and then you have new people involved with respect to the entity, certainly another reason why trusted estates lawyers would really need to know about this act. Absolutely. So this is a fairly significant change to the law with a fairly robust reporting obligation that we're now going to have to navigate. What's the problem we're trying to solve here? What's really the goal behind imposing this new reporting and filing requirement? So FinCEN is targeting smaller, non-regulated companies that they think could be acting as shell companies for money laundering or other illicit activities. And so there's this belief that in all these small and regulated companies, there is the ability, because of privacy, of ownership for illicit money laundering sorts of activities to occur, and that disclosure will help and aid law enforcement in preventing that. Okay, so for those of us that watched Ozark, those people would have a problem, right? Because then they've got to do a bunch of disclosures that otherwise they got away with their money laundering scheme. Absolutely. So we talk on this podcast a lot about state law changes in California, but here, I mean, we're dealing with a federal law. So we're talking about a law that's going to impact all the states. Is that right? Yes. We have a law that affects all the states, including D.C. territories and jurisdictions, including Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Virgin Islands, and that also will affect foreign entities that are registered in any of our states. And so if we're California attorneys and our clients have entities in Delaware or Nevada, we're going to have to be aware that these requirements apply to them just like they do to our California entities. So just to make sure I understood that, for foreign companies that are registered in the U.S., registered to do business here, they have the same obligation that a domestic company would have under the Act? Yes. Okay. One of the other things I should mention while we're talking about other states is when we were discussing privacy, I shared that the Corporate Transparency Act filings are not public and are protected from disclosure except in specific situations. But as with many areas of law, different states can change that. And so New York, for example, recently passed something called the LLC Transparency Act, which if signed by the governor will apply only to LLCs, so a little bit narrower than the Corporate Transparency Act, but will require Corporate Transparency Act filings for New York LLCs to be made public. And so it's something that we as practitioners want to keep an eye on just so that we don't make our clients promises of privacy on a federal level, but not realize that on a state level, there could be disclosure. Mm. 
Thanks for pointing that out. So we'll have to stay tuned in case California attempts to adopt some similar requirement on the state level here in California, just so we could be ready to address that if it happens. Absolutely. So what should we be talking to clients about now for anticipation of compliance with this new act when it comes into effect? Are there things we could be consulting with our clients about now to kind of get ahead of the curve? I've started talking to clients about this act now so that they, like most of us, realize it applies to them, even though they're not necessarily running a big public company. And so we want clients to know that this law exists, that it's coming into play, and that it affects all of the types of reporting companies we've discussed. And we want to make sure there's time for them to gather information and restructure if needed so that they're not unpleasantly surprised by a last-minute obligation or having to disclose something they're not comfortable with. So that, to me, is the biggest concern, is just to be proactive for our clients and start thinking about this. There are millions and millions of entities out there that are going to have to report. And once the effective date happens, I think we're going to be getting a lot of questions and have a lot of work to do to help our clients comply. And so the sooner we start, the better. The other thing that we can be doing with clients is starting to collect the information that'll be needed for reporting right away. So every time we're filing a new entity, every time we're touching a client's entity, starting to just get in the habit of thinking about what are we going to need in order to file this report. And then the third thing I think about is talking about clients who have privacy concerns. I've just done this for a client where we went through all of her entities and looked at which trusts are going to be disclosed, which trustees are going to be disclosed, and worked through, as you noted earlier, are there entities that we can just wind down that don't serve a clear purpose anymore? Are there ways or opportunities for us to change who the trustees are to avoid certain people having to make disclosures that aren't comfortable doing that? And so it's been a really useful process for her. And I think giving her a lot more comfort going forward that the process is not going to be a problem for her. Yeah, that's all great guidance. So like any new law, I'm a litigator. I always think about, okay, well, what if things go wrong? What are the adverse consequences if people maybe don't comply with this new act? Are there any teeth under this new act? Are there fines? Are there penalties? I mean, what happens if you just don't do it? Yeah. So there are significant teeth, as is typical of projects that go through FinCEN. So we have civil fines of up to $500 a day with a cap of $10,000 for noncompliance. And we have criminal fines of up to $10,000, imprisonment of up to two years or both. Now, The law imposes these penalties regardless of intent, and the penalties, as I've just shared, are fairly serious. At this point, FinCEN has said they don't expect that inadvertent mistakes after diligent efforts will result in violations and penalties, that they're going to be focusing on willful violations, but they were very clear that it needs to be inadvertent mistakes made after diligent efforts to avoid those kinds of penalties. So again, a focus on wanting us to educate our clients and us to be in a position to really help our clients comply. 
Okay, and one other thing, and we kind of touched on this earlier, but just so I make sure I understand and our, our audience understands what document or form is actually getting filed with FinCEN, this report that we've referred to. FinCEN's going to be publishing some sort of form that we use, and that's what we're waiting on? Or like, do we have to create a document? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. One of the things that's challenging for practitioners right now is that we have the effective date coming up January 1st, and we still don't have forms and procedures from FinCEN. So we know what's going to be in the forms from the final regulations. I shared some of that data earlier, but the forms themselves have not yet been released, along with any of the procedures for how the data will be submitted. In part, I think that's why FinCEN has asked for some extensions of filing requirements from the 30 to 90 days, but I was actually surprised they didn't ask for more given where we are today. And in particular, we don't know how the FinCEN identifiers will be issued, again, like our TSA pre-check and something a lot of my clients want to get right away. We think that you will request that with your first filing, but time will tell when FinCEN releases the forms. All right. Well, I'll be waiting on the edge of our seat for those FinCEN forms to be released. Okay. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth, for being with us. We learned a lot of great information today about the Corporate Transparency Act. Elizabeth has given us her contact information. Check out the show notes to get Elizabeth's information. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all next time on Trust Me. Trust Me is a production of the Trusts and Estate section of the California Lawyers Association and produced by Foley Mara Studios. For further information, please go to calawyers.org, click on Sections, Trusts and Estates, and look for the Education tab to learn about upcoming live programs, online CLE and webcasts, as well as a broad range of low-cost self-study programs. Many of our guests are contributors to the Trusts and Estates Quarterly, the official publication of the section. Benefits of membership include the quarterly, along with email case alerts and other opportunities to stay current in the Trusts and Estates field. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss our next episode. And thanks for listening to Trust Me.